Hey, what's up? It's MJ. Want to snag a $100 Napa cab for $25? Wine Spies finds incredible wines at ridiculous prices. We're talking Zinfandel, Barolo, Champagne, you name it. Some of these wines are up to 75% off. It's not a club, so there's no obligation to buy. They even have a build a case option so you can mix and match wines and take advantage of free shipping on every purchase. Make sure you keep an eye out for their daily offer because once a wine sells out, there's no guarantee it'll be back. Go ahead and check them out. You'll even get a discount by going to winespies.com forward slash black wine guy. Hey, I'm MJ Taller, also known as a black wine guy. I went from being a totally obsessed wine newbie to becoming the world's first ever African-American fine and rare wine auctioneer in less than three years. In this show, I'll be talking to the mavericks, the philosophers, the players, and the deep thinkers who inhabit the world of wine. They'll share their experiences on how they made it, but more importantly, how they failed and got back up again. So grab a glass and let's get to it. This is the Black Wine Guy Experience. Hey, everybody. What's up? It's your boy, MJ. Welcome to the Black Wine Guy Experience. My guests with an S today are the co-founders of Legend Imports, Jonathan Ross and Jane Lopes. Uh, Legend Imports launched in 2020. Happy anniversary. Thanks. <laughs> Getting there, yeah. Yeah. Uh, together, Jane and Jonathan share a combined uh, six years of work in Australia's most renowned restaurants and nearly 40 years of combined experience in the wine industry. In Australia, Jonathan took on the role of beverage director for the premium restaurants at the world-renowned Rockpool Group. Jane has worked at many prestigious restaurants and bars, such as the Violet Hour in Chicago, the Catbird Seat in Nashville, Tennessee, Eleveson Madison Park in NYC, and Attica in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, Jonathan was a member of the award-winning wine team at Eleven Madison Park. He started there in 2012 and held the title of Head sommelier from until 2015. Oh, from it was from 2015 till you left. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Not the whole time. Okay. Had to earn it. <laughs> good. 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 Not more <laughs> earn this stuff. And in 2018, Jane passed the master sommelier exam, becoming one of only 35 women in the world to ever do so. Uh, Jonathan and Jane are industry mentors and educators, and they are very active in reforming the U.S. wine industry. Welcome to the show, Jane and Jonathan. Is there anything else you would like to add? Well, I'll add for John that he passed the Master Sommelier exam in 2017. Right? 2017? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, and, and he got to keep his title. <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> and Jane was on the same team at EMP as I was. We worked together. Awesome. Worked awesome. Together. Yeah. Well, we'll get into that. Um, but yeah. So... How we connected was, uh, you know, we I connected with you guys basically through Instagram. I have a friend in Australia who's a mutual friend, and we were doing some IG lives, and I needed a wine. Um, I needed an Australian wine, and I I buy a lot of wine from the wine library. <laughs> Gary V, I've been hitting your team up. You buy ridiculous amounts of wine for a little bit of money I make. Um, and they actually had this, it was called Micro Wines, and it was this Cinso, and I love Cinso, I'm a sucker for Cinso, particularly from like South Africa. So I was like, well, it's got, it's probably old vines, because there's so many old vines of the Rhone stuff in Australia, so I pick it up. And um, 
I, I think you guys caught the live or something, but you, I, I tagged and yeah. you liked the post, and then we started following each other, and uh, and then it be kind of became, and now we're here. <laughs> <laughs> one thing led to another. Yeah, one thing led to another. A DM here, a DM there. <laughs> we're gonna be, we're out west. We're gonna be on the east coast, and and they're on the east coast. When people are on the east coast, I will get into the studio with them. So I was like, when can you do it? And they have graciously showed up. So uh, that's how we connected. Uh, tell us about. The, uh, the wine we're drinking right now tonight. Uh, so this is a producer, Henskins Rankin. Um, it is uh, a, a duo, a husband-wife team in Tasmania, uh, Frida Henskins and David Rankin. Um, I tasted these wines first uh, when I was working at Attica in Australia, um, and I was just absolutely blown away. I thought it was the best Australian sparkling wine I'd ever had and, you know, was up there with some of the best sparkling wine I've ever had. Um, and, uh, you know, they are really impressive people. They work in uh, sustainable agriculture and natural resource management. And also David's a statistics professor. <laughs> They're just really impressive people um, and just incredibly thoughtful. And, um, you know, they're relatively new on the scene in Australia. Um, obviously, this wine is, well, not obviously if you can't see it, but it's, 20, it's 2012. Their first wine was a 2010 vintage brute. Um, but they didn't release it in Australia until 2018. So even though they've been making wine for 11 years now, um, they're you know they're they're very new on the Australian scene and obviously very very new on the American scene. Um, but you know it was just um, sort of their ethos and their quality was something that we um, really were excited about and and felt like Americans would get excited about as well. Yeah, well I'll tell you um, when you poured it the nose. Was right up there. I was like, ah, oh, it's got like almost like a Don Perignon nose. Had that nice doughy yeasty thing going on. Beautiful package too. I just like it's very yeah. understated, which is really always nice in a, in a champagne. I'm not too busy, but really delicious. Um, so thank you for bringing some bubbles. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah the um, eleven has been and is in the U.S. and this is um, a bottle of the 2012 that they sent us with the uh, 2011 back label on just because that's what they had so we can comply <laughs> with the is, Yeah, this is a customs. sample. This is, uh, um, but the 2011 is available and on the will, market right now. And this will be in the States when the 2011 sells out. <laughs> what does something like this go for? Just curious. This is expensive. This is the... Aside from the 100 year from Seppelsfield, this is the most expensive wine in our portfolio. Well, the except producer. their other two wines. So this would be 100 bucks retail. Oh, but still, I mean, that's like grower champagne. Exactly. So I, exactly. I'd have no problem paying yeah. for that. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. that's not. We've, yeah, we think it's it's we think it's what it should be, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. and when we talked to them, you know, they, they said there was, they didn't see room for another 30 to $40 retail bottle of sparkling wine from somewhere in the new world that was made in a way to get it to that price point. And that they believe that luxury should be sustainable or nice things, the good shit, should be sustainable. Um, and that's what they do. So we're super happy and excited to work with them. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. I agree. Yes. Um, so let's go. We're going to talk for a little bit. We're going to drink some bubbles and I'm going to say some stupid shit. And, um, so, Jonathan, we warmed up. So, uh, I understand that you're a Jersey boy like myself. Yes. Where were you uh, born and raised? I was born in Morristown Hospital, but um, was, that's where I was born. But lived in, I guess, uh, Bayonne, Jersey City, my very early part of my life. And 
Um, my parents moved down to Monroe. Okay. Exit 8A. Yeah. Um, usually <laughs> tuck that in there in case someone doesn't know. Um, I guess we moved, to, and, and that's where I grew up until I was, uh, yeah, they still live there. My brother lives there. Okay. Yeah. We've, we've been living there for, <laughs> for, for much bit. of the last yeah. year. And you are a California girl, correct? I am, yep. Where'd you grow up? I grew up, I was born in Napa, actually. Oh, wow. Um, and lived in Sonoma until I was three years old. Then we moved to Marin County, a little town called Tiburon. Um, oh, my God. Tiburon's beautiful. It is really beautiful. Oh, it's ridiculously beautiful. I know. I definitely did not appreciate that enough <laughs> you growing don't when up. You're growing, right? you don't <laughs> I appreciate where you grow up. I know. Um, so, so, yeah, so that was, I was there through, you know, three years old through the end of high school in the, the same house. Um, and then spent a little time in LA, a little time in Chicago, a little time in Nashville, and then New York where John and I met. All right, all right. And you guys met at, uh, we'll get into it, but I, I assume 11 Madison Park or no, before that? we actually met before that. Okay. We met, um, we met at, you know, a, t a tasting group okay. before I had started at EMP. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. All right. So, um, <clears throat> Jane, you have a degree in Renaissance literature. From the University of Chicago, mm -hmm. where fun goes to die. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is what they say. <laughs> <laughs> Did they say that? Yeah, it is, yeah. That, is, that is a saying, yes. Yeah. It, is, it is considered to be the most unfun <laughs> university. Wow, because well, your friends that I've met from there are really fun. Yeah, but it's a it's a certain it's a certain kind of fun, you know. I, I actually went my first year of college to USC University of oh, Southern that California. That sounds like fun. <laughs> which you know exactly. That's a school that most people consider fun, but it wasn't. Uh, I did not find it very fun. <laughs> so uh, U of C University of Chicago was actually was very fun for me, but it you know fun in a. Fun in a much uh, in nerdier a way. Renaissance literature, kind <laughs> yeah, of way. Exactly. But that's, I mean, you're, you're very smart to get into both those schools. So I'm a state school boy. I tell you I'm, I'm, I'm good at school. I think yeah. that's, you know, what it's kind of come down to. I can, I can get get good scores on those tests. But um, yeah, I really did enjoy University of Chicago. No, that's um, cool. And it's a great city. It's a great food city and whatnot. So, so good. You know, yeah. But, but yeah, no, I, I used to work for someone who went there. Not fun. <laughs> <laughs> but a different different age group, different time. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. Sure, it was much more fun when you were there. <laughs> or because you were there. I mean, you brought, exactly. brought a little USC flavor <laughs> exactly. with you. Um, so it's, it's always interesting how people get into wine. So Jonathan, uh, the research says, thanks God, I have producers. Um, <laughs> you studied sports medicine and architecture before... Yeah, I mean, into I've wine and hospitality is that true or what? what was bounced that around a little bit. Um, yeah, out of high school, um, was an athlete in high school and decided sports medicine is cool, so I'm going to do that. And um, started to have too much fun in college, and college really was not a good a place for me to learn how to be an adult um, <laughs> and have adult like responsibilities. So college didn't work out, and then um, so ended up going to a, a community to Mercer Community College for uh, architecture for a year, and that was the whole time I was working in restaurants. And I was like, "This is cool." So stopped going to school for architecture, worked in restaurants for a couple of years, and then actually got a and so went to back to Middlesex County for some hospitality stuff. But so just kind of found it in a roundabout way. 
Very cool. Very cool. I was not good at school like James. <laughs> well, well so I didn't try. I was going to say, like, but what, what, I mean, what does good at school mean? I mean, it took me six years to graduate, so I would think I was good at school. Right. You know? I guess it's... I was good at making it last. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's maybe not necessarily good at school. Wine was probably the only thing I ever actually tried to study. So in the school process, I never, I guess I never applied myself. I don't know. No, I kind of get that. I mean, my parents. No, but it, it's true. I think I think one of the things is um, that um, you have to be interested in something, right? So uh, I asked you a question when we were warming up. Who would you most want to have a ball wine with? And you said William Shakespeare. And you you have a degree in Renaissance literature. That makes sense. Like you actually, and there's nothing. I mean, you it's great. You enjoy that period of time, and you and you could apply yourself to it. Where you know I was same as you. I was an athlete. I went to college because I was I got a scholarship. And I wanted to keep doing sports yeah. it had nothing to do with school and then uh you know bounced around here bounced around there did this did that and then i was like all right let me finish school but i don't use my graduate degree to this day so like i get like right. you know when i fell into wine same thing, i was like wow this is interesting i could study this this is it's like for whatever reason it like kind of hooked me you know yeah so and i also think um in America, uh, hospitality is not seen as a worthy occupation, right? So over in Europe, people are, you know, in France, Paris, there's guys have been waiters. Like, they, those jobs get handed down. They're, like, yeah. generational, whereas here, it's like, oh, what do you, you wait on people. And so it's kind of these, What do you actually want to yeah, do? Yeah, what, what do you yeah. do? You know, what are you, what are you going to do? Like, you know. Yeah, totally. Um, but I think that's great that you guys both found that. And then um, you were saying that you worked in restaurants the whole time. How about you, Jane? How did you kind of shift into wine and hospitality? Um, yeah, I mean, when I graduated U of C, and a fun statistic about University of Chicago, 25% of people who graduate from the undergrad um, go on to get a PhD, 25%. So that doesn't include people who get master's degrees. So it's kind of like, it's really a farm for kind of producing academics. So I definitely kind of fell into that trap and was planning to you know, take a year off and apply to, to graduate programs and get a PhD and be a professor. Um, and I kind of, I just needed a job. I applied for a job to work in the admissions department at U of C. I didn't get that job. So I was just, you know, on Craigslist looking for a job and saw a job listing to work in a wine shop. And I'd always like, I, I not always, I mean, for, you know, the two years I've been drinking, really, I, I, I liked wine. Um, I studied abroad in Italy and, and really enjoyed drinking wine there and I just thought that could be a fun job. I knew very little about wine, but they hired me anyway. Um, but you know, I within a few months I knew I wasn't going to turn in those grad school applications that I really loved that wine, you know, it is very academic, but mm -hmm. it's also much more, you know, it's social, ex experiential. It's it was just it really um, appealed to me in so many ways. So, I just kind of knew I was going to stay on that track. I didn't know exactly where what part of the industry would lead me to, but um, but yeah, that was that was it. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, I, I I would agree with everything you said. Although it's you're also the second guest. It's funny as we go through these things, like that, like was on Craigslist. <laughs> <laughs> like 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 Craigslist is like it's still there. People, I'm sure the kids don't even know what Craigslist is, but it's yeah. still viable. <laughs> yeah, I wonder that if like I found my first job in New York on Craigslist, and before that, it was in newspapers. 
What, what's that? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Most people who listen, I know the demographics would know what that is, but I'm serious. There's a whole different, like, what's a newspaper? I told people my are nieces, just thinking, yeah. wow, he's old. <laughs> I told my nieces I was older than the internet. And they like, they're like, no, you're not. <laughs> it's not possible. I was like, yeah, it is. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> I mean, you guys are an accomplished couple. I mean, Jane, you were uh, featured, 2015, featured Esquire Networks Uncorked, which I liked Esquire Network. What happened to it? I liked that show, The they, week, the Getaway, The Weekend, where people would go away for the weekend. I haven't seen it. She's like, I don't know. I was on a show. I don't watch it. I'm, like, I'm busy. I'm reading Shakespeare and drinking wine. I don't have time to watch the network. One. But anyway, uh, tell us about this Uncorked show, which I'm going to have to go see if I can find. Yeah, you know, it was it was an experience. Um, I, I so it was it was set in New York, so it kind of profiled a handful of us who were sitting for the MS exam in 2015. Okay. Um, and you know, it was. I think after you know, we all saw some, and I'm I'm good friends with Jason Wise, and I think he did a really great job with that movie. But there wasn't. You know, there wasn't a woman taking that there exam. There was not a woman taking that exam. <laughs> That's correct. Um, so I kind of felt, and I was the only, I was the only w- woman they were talking to. I think they were talking to Jordan Salcedo too, and she decided not to do it. And so mm-hmm. I was like, if I don't do this, there's no, there's again no woman. So I was like, okay, let's do it, even though I like had and have <laughs> pretty severe kind of anxiety issues. Um, I just was like, I'm gonna do it. So you know, so I did it, and it was. Um, you know, it, it was definitely stressful, kind of that process in general is very stressful and then doing it in front of cameras. Um, and the idea that people are going to be anywhere in the world could be, could be watching this. Um, but, uh, I'm glad I did. It was also kind of a, a cool relic of like, that was the kind of the beginning of John and my relationship. So some of that is captured uh, on the TV show, too. Because ah. um, John wasn't originally someone they were following. That was the boyfriend. But, kind of <laughs> yeah. Right. But he was the also... love interest. Yeah. <laughs> but then they realized that he was kind of really good, and he was winning all the competitions, and they're like, I guess we better make this guy a feature, too. So um, so it was, it was fun. It was an experience. I definitely still get people who who reach out to me about it. Or when we moved to Australia, a lot of people had seen it. <laughs> um, so, you know, it was uh, it was a, a unique experience. I don't think I'm eager to be on a, a television show again, but uh, I don't regret it. So what's that like? So you're in Australia and then, like, someone comes in, hey, you and that thing, right? I mean, what is that like to people, like? I mean, for me, I found it a little bit stressful because, like, like there were literally scenes of me, like, decanting a bottle and like shaking like visibly shaking you can see it on the television um because i was you know so nervous and so for me especially because you know the way anxiety works is you have to hide it from everyone you know (laughs) and so that was you know very stressful that it kind of sort of broke this facade i was trying to build of perfection (laughs) but but it was also really cool in a sense because a lot of people did reach out to me and say like i'm you know I, it's so cool to see that someone else has nerve problems and, um, and that made me feel so much better about continuing in this world. And so it was, it it was, yeah, mixed emotions. Gotcha. Gotcha. How about you? Who kind of just like steam sealer. Yeah, exactly. John just got to be the the cool kid. I mean, 
Yeah, it was interesting. I think um, I remember, yeah, it was just like another Psalm that was dating someone on the show. And then um, they were filming these, the essentially the, the top Psalm competitions, the regional things and so on. Um, and because I won them, they had to include me in the footage. <laughs> if I didn't and the winner win, is, been, and, all right, and the winner like, is, shit, damn it. Not <laughs> I guess we gotta, so, so that's kind of, and it was, I mean, it was one of those things where I remember, um, you know, we took, it goes through the MS exam and the first time, um, I guess that was the first time we took, the second time I took theory, first time you took theory, something like that, and like us both not passing and, it's and, your third time. my third time. Um, <laughs> But it, it's definitely a, 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 a little bit of invasive experience. I remember doing, like, service competitions and, like, walking into a camera, too, and stuff like that, which is just weird and unique. But, um, yeah, it was an experience. <laughs> so as, as you're talking, tell people a little about um, these regional competitions because I think people, like, you watch the Psalm series and you, you get there's a lot of study, but it's it's, like... It's like sports almost, right? I mean, it's like... Yeah. I mean, so essentially a competition like that would start off with an online national theory exam, but you'd be broken up into, what, five regions across the country. Um, and then the top 10 or eight people in that would um, be invited to a, a competition that was similar to an exam. So there'd be a blind tasting component, uh, a, a service component, and a theory component again. And it was just always like... You know, you win, you move on, you win, you move on, and, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's there aren't too many in the U.S. anymore. I know the Shenda Rotisaurus still does theirs, or at least did pre-COVID, you know, I think are getting back into it. I think, you know, f I find it, found it to be, you know, valuable in terms of meeting some ladies from across the country and also building your skills. But I, I think this industry does have a little bit of a problem with sort of wanting to judge people with and not wanting to kind of help them mm. and that was something I found frustrating um you know I remember on the tv show there was kind of a competition we did for the tv show and then there was master sommeliers you know critiquing on air what we were doing and it was kind of like you know and I remember one of the master sommeliers was critiquing my use of an also it was like why don't why don't why don't we do something to show people how to use it instead? Like I just remember, and I remember Psalms who have worked for, for me, you know, not knowing how to use it. And that's fine. You know, there, because it's not like this was an exam that you taught me this thing and then I didn't pay attention and mm -hmm. I didn't learn mm -hmm. it. Like no one's taught me it. So, and that's, I think a huge problem in our industry is we don't have, we don't have a strong educational system. We have a strong judgment system, Wow, which doesn't, you know, doesn't feel good for anyone. Which doesn't feel good for anybody and, and doesn't, doesn't accomplish anything. Doesn't really lead really to growth, right? Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, it's like, you don't know, you know what that is? Like, it, like yeah, it made exactly. it feel bad. Like, no. Exactly. Like, I'm, you yeah. know, I'm studying. I'm like, <laughs> right. you know. Can I, you tell me? Yeah, yeah. I tell people all the time, I'm like, I, I'm glad. I don't know everything. That's why I'm not a psalm. <laughs> <laughs> don't want to know everything. <laughs> um, so, <clears throat> you guys met, you're dating. You're both taking the exam, and then you're working at 11 Madison Park. Um, who was uh, working there when you were there who people might know? Um, <laughs> so I was hired in – I started in February 2012. Um, Dustin Wilson hired me, and 
Um, it was the the old crew. Jeff Taylor was there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Chase Dubay um, and um, Cedric Nikes. Cedric, Cedric and I were hired at the same time. Um, and yeah, um, Danny Meyer had sold them the restaurant four months prior, and then Nomad was set to open later that year. Okay. Okay. And and then at one point you were you were had Sam for five years. Like, what's it? How's it to work through the ranks at some place like that? Like, you know, it it was one of those scenarios where Sam's needed. They needed. It, it was kind of the one part of the restaurant where you needed an some level of outside experience or education where they couldn't teach you to work with, you know, thousands of different bottles of wine just from being there for a little while. It would take years and years and years. So the sommelier pigeons were often brought in from outside, but you would then spend quite a bit of time training through all of the ranks of the restaurant. But there was kind of some level of fast track. So you really kind of had to to earn the trust and respect of your team to, to then be able to take on what was somewhat of a leadership position as a sommelier in that restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, it was kind of just... I guess it was maybe more attrition. Um, you know, <laughs> Jeff was this head psalm, and then and and Jeff left, and Cedric was made. You know, it was there was a, it was kind of just you know other people left. Cedric became head psalm, and then you know Dustin left, and Cedric became wine, wine director, and I became head psalm. It was very much just like you know who hadn't who hadn't left kind of thing. Um, <laughs> he got the job by default. By is default. what he's saying. It's like I'm, you know. I'm the I'm the oldest one here. <laughs> well, perseverance um, and you know. Sure, but and and you become you know you know the guests you know the systems you know what's going on and so on and but but yeah so it was kind of putting in the time and so on so those were the last two years and um, Jane was essentially there for the last two and a half years I think you were probably Dustin's last hire or something like that close to it um, and and yeah so yeah I was, that was I was so like. How did you, like you said earlier, you met in the taste group, but how did you come on board at EMP and like what was your path? So um, I had been working, when I moved to New York, I worked at Maialino for a bit before Maialino had any sommeliers. So it was Liz Nicholson was the wine director and um, she kind of, you know, did a lot of staff trainings and it was a very wine knowledgeable staff, but no SOM. So I was actually bartending there. Um, I then got a job as a SOM at Ristorante Marini with the Altamaria group mm-hmm. um, and worked with Victoria James there and Richard Anderson, who are still some of my favorite, favorite people. Um, but one night I got an email from Dustin Wilson Um and he, it just said, you know, looking for a psalm. I forget what the phrasing was. It was clear he didn't. And, and I had expressed to Dustin that I was looking to kind of for something else. Um, and he, you know, he's he's a very, he's a really good guy. He's not trying to, to poach anyone's, totally good guy. <laughs> anyone's staff members. But kind of worded in a way of like, do I know anyone? <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, for me, it was kind of the dream job. And I... I really had so much admiration for the restaurant. I had dined there the year before. Um, it was a little tricky because John and I had actually previously dated. Okay. And we were not on the best of terms. 
So, and it's it's all out there in Jane's book, so we might as well talk about it here, <laughs> you know, but but we were very much off in a year and a half on and off relationship that was mainly my poor, that was all my poor judgment. Um, it always is <laughs> our fault. I yes. mean, let's be 100. Totally. <laughs> and, and I just remember we're looking and we're standing in the service station and it's me, Cedric and Dustin. I was like, you should just, you should, you should reach out to Jane. She'll work here. She's the person for the job. She's and he, he looks at me. He's like, "Are you sure you guys can work together?" And I was like, "Yes, you need to offer her a job." And he just literally ran to the office to write her an email. <laughs> and Cedric and I looked at each other, and he's like, "Dude, I was like, I'm either it's going to be terrible or we're going to get married." <laughs> <laughs> and here we and are. That's how most love stories go. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. So yeah, I so you know. Once, I'm sorry. No, please. The book. How do, how do we miss the book? Tell <laughs> us, tell it, us it about the book. It happens later. But what's uh, the name of your book, by my, the way? The name of my book is Vignette. I will send you a copy. Oh, awesome. Um, it, so the book came about, I had actually done an interview with my alumni magazine at University of Chicago, mm-hmm. just talking about wine and cocktails and um, and a literary agent who was also an alum of UFC uh, and lived in New York. He read it and he reached out to me on, I think, Twitter. He sent me a DM on Twitter and said, you should write a book. Let's meet up. Let's have coffee. So I had coffee with this guy. um, And, you know, he kind of wanted me to write like a like a tell all confessional of the wine industry, um, which I didn't want to write. But it did kind of it was the impetus for me to say, like, hey, I could write a book like I've I've trained in writing. I, I know books like. Um, and so I kind of very quickly sort of came up with this concept of what I wanted the book to be. I wanted it to be part personal narrative, you know, talking about my story in regards to like, in, in regards to the MS in regards to health in regards to just kind of almost like coming of age in this, in this industry. But then I also wanted to kind of incorporate wine information. So each chapter is, um, sort of a different style of wine that played a part in a kind of a, a story in my life. And then after that, chapters overall include a bit of um, sort of educational material about that style of wine in a, a pretty fun visual way. Lots of maps and charts and graphs and illustrations. Um, There's a gra- mini graphic novel and a crossword <laughs> puzzle. And I was going to like... Do you have a coloring book that would be more suitable for me? I mean, um, there's like there's a word search, like it's like <laughs> it's so, fun. It's so. I really wanted it to be like approachable for for anyone, but also hopefully engaging for the for the kind of the expert too. So, what wine corresponds to your on again off again with John? Um, well, there's a few in the saga, but the the the, <laughs> the the main one that kind of symbolized our relationship was Barolo. Because when, well, for a a few different reasons, I think when I came to dine at 11 Madison Park, John served us a a magnum of Barolo. And um, one of our first dates, we drank Barolo, and it kind of became sort of our wine. It's an expensive wine to be your wine, but... (laughs) We can drink some Longay Nebbiolo, and we're not feeling like going for the full, the full Barolo. The full Barolo. That sounds like a movie. The full Barolo. <laughs> yeah. well, that's really cool. That's really cool. So um, <laughs> that is so funny. Um, I, I can literally see this guy like, this is the coolest alum of the University of Chicago ever. <laughs> right. She needs to write a book. 
Why is she so fun? She yeah, like, wine. She, I know. Oh my God, she she works in the wine. She's at the best restaurants. How did she go to UFC? Yeah, they're like, wow. We don't teach that. Exactly. <laughs> I could just see her like, wow. <laughs> You must be like an icon. They're gonna have a statue of you there, like open a ball, swirling or something. <laughs> no, that's that's very cool. And I also love that he reached out to you on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, it's lucky I saw it. I'm definitely not on Twitter very often. We got Craigslist, we got Twitter, we got email, we got the full electronic. Uh, very modern. Yes, this is a very modern wine tale going on here. <laughs> so, um, how long were you? At EMP, Jonathan, how long were you guys there? The same amount of time. I mean, obviously, I think we were there longer, but did you leave at the same time? Like, what? yeah. So I was there for about five and a half years, um, and towards the end, I was looking. I, I was ready to find something else to fulfill myself, but really couldn't in the world in, in the New York wine world, and but was was still there, and and you know we were about to be named the best restaurant in the world, and and, and all these things, and and. Um, you know, Jane had left, had given notice a few, I guess, in November of 2016. And a friend of ours who is now in Australia was working at the restaurant Attica, who we worked with at EMP, and was like, messaged Jane when she, he found out she gave notice and said, hey, come be my wine director at Attica in Australia. Like, ha Australia. <laughs> um, and we kind of just looked at each other one day and we we're like, we should go. And that's a short narrative of it. Jane actually had a lot of conversations with them and realized how wonderful they were to work with. And um, so we left for the same reason. Um, I left about six or seven weeks after Jane. Okay. Um, you know, EMP was a, a unique place. Um, I think Jane gave notice at the beginning of December and left Valentine's Day-ish, February, the beginning of February. Um, I essentially gave notice around the same time because we knew we were moving. Um, and I was actually asked to stay through Memorial Day. And I said, no, I'm going to leave um, end of March, um, which was an interesting moment. Um, but uh, so, yeah, we left at the same time. Jane had sorted out where we were going to live in Australia. I sold all the stuff in our apartment here and went down. And So, yeah, I started... I think I started about two and a half years after John at, okay. at EMP. So he yeah, predated me by... I didn't answer the question, did I? <laughs> oh, it's a podcast, man. We, John's we, like, let me tell you this. It's a podcast. We talk. It's <laughs> fine. Um, so, yeah, to answer the question, we'll go to Jane. Um, <laughs> so um, so you, you get offered this job down there, and you're like, and then you, you're like, this is what we're doing. How, what was the conversations that went on with Jonathan? Um, you know, it was honestly, it was, I'd had, yeah, I'd had a couple really good phone calls with them and I was just, just like, they're seem like great people. It seems like a great place to work. It would be, you know, being the wine director at a 50 best restaurant, which there, you know, aren't a lot of women in those positions. Um, and there's only 50 restaurants. So, yeah, exactly. I mean, so <laughs> but it's tough on two levels. There's only going to be 50, right? Exactly. It's going to be twice as tough, right? Yeah. yeah. And that's an issue. I know you guys will get in that later about how you reform the industry, but yeah, like it's a huge opportunity. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it was really John. Like, he just, there was one night that I was off and he was working. He got home from work and he was like, let's move to Australia. <laughs> and I don't think I'd even been offered the job yet at that point, but. It, it was, um, you know, it was just like, 
we kind of felt like we'd be silly not to, you know, here's this opportunity to go live and uh, literally the other side of the world, get to know really intimately wine regions we've, you know, never mm-hmm, been to before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was kind of like, why not? So we did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you wine. had a job. Did you have a job moving down there? No. Um, so we knew that the 50 best stuff was happening in, in Melbourne that year. Yep. So I had, you know, just found people's emails that worked for that organization and was like, hey, you're going to be in Australia. I work at this restaurant that is on your list every now and then. Can I, like, get a job at the festival? I'm just going to move down there. So um, it was coinciding with the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival, so I was able to, like, work uh, as a waiter in the, like, pop-up restaurant that was always going to be open at the center of, like, the Food and Wine Festival. So I was able to, like, instantly meet a bunch of people that were working locally in the industry, winemakers, people that worked in restaurants, and so on. Um which was a kind of a great immersion and like was a little bit of, you know, tiny bit of cash in the pocket for a week. Um, and then it was just like, man, Australia, like, I just want to explore. I'm going to go work on a scuba diving boat. I'm going to go do this. <laughs> I'm not going to do anything with wine. Like, I just want to like live a different life in Australia. And um, a couple of weeks later, I was, you know, was offered a role with a, a restaurant group called the Lucas Group. Um, we opened uh, a pretty ambitious restaurant together uh, for their group, um, and then I went to the U. And it was that group was an experience. It wasn't the greatest experience, but it was an experience. Um, and we uh, and then then came back to the U.S. in I guess September of of that year um, after being in the U- in Australia for about six months to take the last section of the MS exam. Um, and then you know when I was about to leave. And, and this is when, you know, really excited about that and so on. And they're, like, instantly emailing me, say, hey, we're going to put this out that, like, we now have our own MS and this and that. And I'm like, well, you know, you don't own me. Um, and, you know, these aren't really, like, look at these posts. that like, like, just be a little more, like, I don't know, human about it. And it really just pointed me in a direction that a lot of other people in the industry are saying that you need to move on. So I left that role. Um, after I got back and went and worked Harvest that kind of 2018 and then started working at the Rockpool Group. But yes, did not have a job when I got to Australia. <laughs> so you brought up the MS, which you passed in 2017? Yeah. Okay. And then Jane, you passed in 2018? Yes. Are there any other uh, Master Psalm married couples in the world? There were no, there were no I think Lindsay there are MS couples that are married now though they were married and started their relationship after passing okay okay but it's not very common no. yeah no that's, that's I mean you're not common I mean so like you were in Australia when you were studying for the exam is that correct yeah, I was... Um, Jane was studying for theory, writing a book, and planning a wedding in the same year. And I had a full-time job. And I had a full-time job. <laughs> and you were like scuba diving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Talking about, I, I'm going to do something completely. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, I, was, I took it the first time in 2015, didn't pass theory, 
Um, and I was going to take it again in 2017. I was planning to take a year off, take it again in 2017, but that's when, you know, I got offered the job at Attica, so I postponed it a year um, and then p- picked it back up in, 20, in 2018. Yeah. So there's been a lot going on with them over the course of the last year. Um, I don't know where you two stand. What, you know, like I know some people have stepped away. I don't know, you know, um, I don't know. I mean, you're only one of like 35 women or something in the world to pass. Well, I, I don't know. I don't actually, I think that number was the statistic at the time I passed, but I guess there haven't been a whole lot of people since then. But um, I mean, I, I I don't know how much you, I, the 2018 cheating scandal and right, all yeah, of that Right, yeah, I remember stuff. that so one, yeah, yeah. I made the choice to walk away and I didn't retest, re- retest after that, so. Were you one of the persons they avoided? Yeah. Yes. She <laughs> found out via social media one morning because they didn't call her on time with the time difference. <sighs> yeah, it was it was brutal. You know, I think it's like anything that you kind of, I don't know, put up on a pedestal and realize it isn't what you thought it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, and I, I, you know, it was definitely a hard adjustment because I, I think that John and I both felt like this was, we wanted to pass the, this exam so that we could turn around and, and be mentors and educate people and, and be that person, be that role in the industry. Um, and so that, I think, was disappointing just to feel like, well, that's not going to be our outlet, mm-hmm, at least my mm-hmm, outlet mm-hmm. for, you know, to be kind of a mentor and a leader in the in the industry. Um, but, you know, I think, um, you know, I kind of got dragged back <laughs> into things a bit last year with the, the sexual harassment article in the New York Times. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, for me, I, I have a lot of respect for a lot of people who are master sommeliers. I don't think... Clearly, it's not been a terribly safe space for a lot of people for a lot of reasons, um, and I don't. Uh, so I'm I'm happy to kind of pursue, you know, opportunities to be a leader and a mentor in, in other spaces. Is I guess what I'll say. <laughs> John might have have some harsher words. Um, yeah, sure. <laughs> and I saw she alley, she threw it over Yeah, I mean, you know, when I when I passed. In 17, we hadn't really been privy to anything that was really going on aside from what we thought this idealistic organization was. And soon after, I remember there was this conversation on Guildsam, which is kind of a, a community forum, an industry forum, and then about, you know, at questioning kind of the demographics of an, of an advanced exam. And a few of us chimed in on the internal forum for the membership of the of the, uh, the CMS and um, we were like, hey, we should like look at numbers and publish numbers and at least like show that we're talking about this so we can recognize things that we need to work on. And it was instantly shut down. Um, and it kind of just kept snowballing and the writing on the wall kept coming forward. Um, and then after 2018, um, myself along with a few other guys, um, uh, Bobby Stuckey, Ken Fredrickson, Richard Betts, Dustin, Andrew Robinson for a bit, um, we kind of were just taking our own time and, and resources. We hired a lawyer. We really kind of went at the MS, the CMS for about two years pretty strong. We were in boardrooms with them, with lawyers. It, it got, we really threatened everything. Um, they sued one of the people in Jane's class for using the initials MS on a LinkedIn profile when he was like, screw you, I passed my exam. I'm going to, you know, wow. do whatever. And 
Um, and then just like the past year, it's just every it's just a continuation of their follies, and then showing the larger follies and 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 issues with with the organization. Um, you know, and and now just watching and listening to what they're saying and what they're doing, I, I just. I don't believe that they are making changes because they want to be a different organization. I believe it's solely from a place of, of self-preservation. Oh, um, and you know, and that's, and sadly, that's for most people, that's human nature. Change, yeah. change is really hard, yeah. and especially in institutions. Yes. And so, uh, and this is just institutions across the board, like yes. that, that they are going to do what they have to do. Self-preservation is, is a human instinct. Yeah. And, um, you know, I I do have a law degree, so I look at things a little differently. So I look back, I look back, like you know, and like, and you can you can see where you know you can see intent is what I'm saying. You yeah. can see if it, if if it's genuine or if it's like it's spin, if it's if it's a CYA cover your ass, um, and you know, um, yeah, and and we all I think everybody's experienced that. It's like it's like when you realize your 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 dad's not Superman. Like it's it's, it's that thing when <laughs> when the world comes crashing in. Yes. But I think for a lot of people, like that's got to be you know you you're you're like you're at the top of your game and you realize I don't even know what it means to be at the top of my game anymore. So that's I mean kudos to you guys for being able to make a pivot. And I like something you said. I think you don't have to have a title to be a leader. Matter of fact, the best leaders it's quantum leadership. Is it's 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 the private who leads the troops. It's not the general who has all. It's 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 the person who's who's actually in the trenches, who's actually can can do more leading from time to time. Because, you know, we change as we get titles. Sometimes some of us tend to change, right? We start out with good intentions, and we're like, oh, you know, like Dust was on here. I was like, you could have cruised. Like, why? Like, you're a white dude. <laughs> You got your MS. Why are you? Why are you like charred trying to take the hill? And he's like, that's just who he is, right? I mean, like Bobby. Bobby's a Bobby's a leader. Yep. Bobby. Bobby probably saved restaurants in America. Yeah. Yes. You know. Um, can't wait to have you on the show, Bobby. You know, I love you, man. <laughs> um, so we're gonna take a quick break, and then we're gonna come back, and then we're gonna talk about the legend from <laughs> Down Under. <laughs> If you follow me on social media, you know I love discovering and drinking new and exciting labels and winemakers. The Wine Spies offer wines like Single Vineyard Tempranillo from Amador County, Single Vineyard Mount Veter Zen from Peter Franis. If you don't know who he is, now you know. Wine Spies has been gathering intel since 2007, so these guys are really connected in the biz, and that's how they can offer so many great deals. I love their locker feature. It lets you build a case over time so you can check out with just one bottle and avoid shipping charges. They have a top-notch tasting panel so I can rely on the wines to be great every time, which lets me play around and discover more. The spies always take care of me, so if I'm not 100% happy with the wine, they'll make it right. And just for the listeners of my show, there's a special Black Wine Guy Experience URL discount code for $10 off your first order when you sign up at winespies.com forward slash black wine guy. Okay, we are back with Jonathan Ross and Jane Lopes, or let me, let me do this right. Jane Lopes and Jonathan Ross. <laughs> there we go. Of Legend Imports. <laughs> All right. So <clears throat> you guys worked at Attica. How long did you work at Attica? And then... 
I was at Attica just over three years. Just over three years, okay. In order for us to stay in Australia and have work rights, Jane had to work at Attica. Got it. Yeah, immigration laws. They, yeah. they, <laughs> they have them around the world, people, just in case you know. The immigration policies are a thing. Uh, <laughs> and most of them are strict than ours. <laughs> Not saying we need to change that, but people need to get, I mean, like, you got to have a job to get into New Zealand. You got to have a job to be in Australia. Like, yeah. You're not hanging out. Um, so then what happens? You just guys at home, like, honey, let's start our own company. What, what, what happened? You know, the discussion started pretty early on in our time in, in Australia. We, um, you know, I think, at least for, for me, and I think I've historically been a little bit more close, close minded about wine than, than John has, but I was, you know, we were. New York Psalms who drank a lot of clearly Barolo in Burgundy and Champagne and German Riesling and all that. And, you know, I wasn't expecting to go to Australia and actually, like, really love the wine. You know, I was expecting, I wanted to learn about it. I was interested. I was going to, I wanted to visit all these wine regions. Did you, I thought did you have fruit bomb bias? <laughs> totally, totally. Because <laughs> yeah. that's what we'd seen. You know, you'd seen, you'd seen the... The big Shiraz, and maybe you'd seen a Clear Valley Riesling, but that was kind of it. And so I was interested, but wasn't expecting to really fall in love with the wine the way we did. Like you know, most of what we drank when we lived in Australia was Australian wine, just because yeah. we loved it. I mean, when we were in, when we were at EMP, you know, Gordon Little started, and and Vine Street started bringing in a few things. So we would have we had some Akota barrels and some Jan sheet and things like that. We thought those were unique among a sea of mediocrity. And we, we got there and quickly realized that it was the opposite. Mm. And, you know, those guys like 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 Luke Lambert and Mac Forbes, people that we've become friendly with and close with. Um, I spent pretty much all harvest living, you know, down the street from Mac and working with Mac and um, realized that there's just so many people in Australia that are doing incredible work that we're not here. And um, we realized soon after that when we did come back to the U.S., we were going to bring Australia with us. No, I was just going to say, so, yeah, so that was the plan. And we had this kind of this business plan worked out. And, you know, we had, had some investor conversations and all that stuff. We were going to try and start it while we were in Australia, actually. And then we realized we had to come back and tell the story ourselves. We kept kind of messing around with it. And just it was going to be too difficult. And it probably wouldn't have landed well if we started while we were there. Yeah, yeah. So we, you know, we, the plan was always to start mid-2020, and then, of course, 2020 hit, and we're like, what do we do, yeah. you know? Investors don't answer emails. <laughs> um, yeah, no one, no one no wanted to talk to you. To you. It's like, um, address not found. Yeah. <laughs> right. And Totally. And, and we had essentially, we both left our day jobs March 7th of 2020, as planned, um, I had harvest for my wines and was, was focusing on that. Jane went to New Zealand with a few friends um, for a couple of weeks. And then after harvest was done, it was a pretty early compacted season. So probably by the first week of April, we were going to hit the road and we were going to do like a, a month long road trip before we left and then come back to the U.S. And all of that stopped. Can we back up for one second? Yes, yes. So, Sorry. No, it's all good. That's just, I just, <clears throat> I'm getting better at not cutting my guests off. Um, <laughs> I think that uh, you said when you were Australian, you drank mostly Australian wine. So, like, what what was that like? So, you were you you come from the states. Um, what type of wine list? What type of beverage program did you put together? And and what was the expectation? Was it was it to be old world? Like, talk about that being having an uh, 
an idea about Australian wines and then coming to be the wine director yeah. in an Australian restaurant. It was definitely a bit intimidating. And I think if I had kind of wanted to play it safe, I would have just done a largely old world list. Because in the context of that, I'm as much an ex- expert as anyone else, you know. But coming to Australia and, and not being as familiar with Australian wines, um, there was definitely playing a lot of catch up. But I also, you know, I immediately kind of looking at the list and also the philosophy of the restaurant, which was all about kind of native Australian foods and and local foods. It was just very clear that 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 wine list should be uh, a very local list. So my goal, you know, it was a small enough list, a small enough program that I wasn't going to have, you know, be a you know, crazy sort of wine spectator award, all, you know, 25 vintages of Penfolds Grange, that sort of stuff. So I really just narrowed the scope to just Victoria, just Victorian wine regions. And I just said, I want to have, you know, I want to have a great, it's going to be small, but a great uh, uh, Victorian wine list. And then I wanted to have, to balance it with with old world wines, because the point I was trying to make was you should that, you know, a, a great Shiraz from Heathcote should be on the same exact page as a great Syrah from Cote Roti, and they should be in conversation. And um, and I really felt like that Australia held its own, you know, against those sort of so historic old world wine regions. So Victoria, <clears throat> tell people, because most people don't know about Australian wines, if I'm being honest, I mean, they're just... Like either they know Yellowtail or they know Torbrick or something like that, you know. But you're like, so like Southeast Australia, where's Victoria in relationship? Western Australia, where, where, where's Victoria region? Victoria is the state, it's the very southeast corner okay. of, of Australia, of the of the mainland. Then you have Tasmania, which is sort of the, the state that's the, the island state that's off the, off the coast. It's like the Puerto Rico of Australia. <laughs> <laughs> I just made that up. <laughs> <laughs> so 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 yeah so so um and what do they what what do they like you know in old world people or you know specialize what is there a specialty in victoria right? so victoria would be the coolest mainland climate and also the most diverse climate so you can see everything from um age-worthy kind of moderate alcohol styles of cabernet um to some kind of generous styles of shiraz to really clean, kind of delicate, linear styles of Chardonnay and Pinot Noir and Riesling and everything in between. Um, it's a hot spot for Italian grapes. There's more Italian grapes planted in Australia than anywhere else outside of Italy. Um, Whoa, see now you got me going because I'm, I'm a wild. fan of, I call them calitalis. I love Italian grapes grown in different climates for some yeah. reason. Um, so we work with a producer named Chalmers um, who started a, a nursery in the 80s focused on bringing... Mediterranean varieties and things that are more suited for Australia um, or just to kind of experiment in making Australian wine with grapes that are as foreign as Chardonnay or Pinot Noir, just happen to be from Italy or Greece or whatever. Um, and another producer, Fighting Gully Road, that we work with is another viticulturist who also was involved in that kind of movement. And um, I mean, there's everything, like literally any Italian grape you could think of, it's either in their nursery getting ready and propagated for vineyard establishment or is in vineyards. Um, everything from Berdicchio and Norella Mascolese to Colorino and Pavangina, every Lambrusco variety, like it's nuts. Nebbiolo's everywhere. One of the restaurants that I was that I was working with, 
um, was an Italian restaurant, and a guest asked me for Nebbiolo, and I opened to the Barolo page, and this literally happened. I opened to the Barolo page, and I'm like, Nebbiolo's not from Italy. <laughs> <laughs> so I love that. I mean, and that's, yeah. and that's, that's wine, you know, like, yeah. like, like, that's, <laughs> that's wine, like selling wine at retail. I have a little retail job to keep just so it's fun, and someone's like, I want a red burgundy, and they didn't know red burgundy was Pinot Noir. Right. People don't, they just, like, like and, and it's funny because they say it to be fancy. <laughs> I want a burgundy. Right. White or red. They're like, uh. uh they're like, I'm like, okay. They're like, no, that says Pinot Noir because it's like the Favely. And, yeah, and yeah. it's been like 20 bucks, right? So it's a Favely Bourgogne, so it puts Pinot Noir right. for Americans. I'm like, wait, it says Pinot Noir. I'm like, yes, all red burgundy is Pinot Noir. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's awesome. That's a, so, um, <clears throat> so you go there and you guys love Barolo. So it was like, like, like what happened? Like, did you say let's try this Nebbiolo? Like, what wine? Like, what's like the best Nebbiolo from Australia you two have had? Definitely Luke's, right? Luke or Lambert's Nebbiolo Steel. is really good. Um, Giaconda makes a great Nebbiolo. There's a lot of them, honestly. Like, it's it's a grape that has found a lot of success. I think, I think honestly, the only ones I've had that I haven't been crazy about. Is you know sometimes Australian wine can get that eucalyptusy thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that if it's you know if that's too strong, yeah. it can be it can be distracting. Um, but you know in general, there's just yeah a lot of a lot of people doing doing cool stuff with Nebbiolo, San, some great Sangioveses. Um, but yeah, that we're bringing in from Chalmers a uh, Nero de Avila that they make that's delicious. Uh, their Greco is fantastic. Elianco um, Rosé, Vermentino. Yeah, it's um, just, it's very fun. And, and, you know, I think with a lot of what I've found with a lot of Italian grapes, but also other grapes, you know, Australia can do things very well in a very varietal way, you know, classic varietal characteristics, but that it's just a little bit kind of, a little bit more sunshine, a little bit more fruit, a little bit more it's softness. It's like California. I mean, yeah. I think... We in California, some people can go over the top with the ripeness, but I remember watching um, PBS and watching Jacques Pepin, and I remember him saying he likes American wines. He said, "Why?" I said, "They're a little bit riper." You know, it, it is grape is a fruit, so I think if you can rein it in, if you could, so I could see that being just like I like I love Sangiovese. I, I can't wait. I, I can't wait to go to your tasting. <laughs> Yes, because um, I love Sangiovese. I love Barbera, and I love it when it's just a little bit riper, just a little bit yeah, riper. Totally. You know? I'm trying to think what's going. I think only the Greco's going to be there. Greco's good though. Oh, Greco's Greco. so good. And I, I think I've saw and and um, I've heard about the Nero Davola, um, but um, I think that that's fantastic. So you you're curate you cur, you curate this list. It's local. Um, <clears throat> did you win any awards? I mean, was it like. like the American comes over and rocks our wine well. And what? Um, there is like a the Australians do. Australians love shows and awards. And I, there's I, lots I, of those. I, that's what I, mean. I know. That's what I asked. <laughs> so I there was there's a kind of the the wine list of the year awards that um, I think the first year we we always won the non-alcoholic award because we had a really good non-alcoholic program of pairings and different kind of fresh juices from native ingredients that you could get so we always kind of won that award and we've I kind of always been a runner-up for kind of the the list of the year or the like state's best list and then actually the year 
the year I left. So like that was one of the last things I did before I left was kind of send off the application. You know, you send your list over. And then I guess it was late last year I got an email or a phone, I guess a phone call. And they, I don't think they had my number, but the guy had John's number. So John's talking to this, the guy who runs the program. And, and the, the Attica listed one, won the best wine list. So that was cool. It was kind of, yeah, my last... My last hurrah, and, and so kind of celebrated that in tandem with the, the guy who had been my number two while I was there who took over my position, who's, who's really talented and a great guy. Um, so we kind of jointly accepted that award. So that was, that was cool. It was very, very nice. That's awesome. Yeah. <clears throat> so we were talking just a few moments ago before I started just getting so excited about more Italian varietals. <laughs> The most planned Italian rise so Italy are in Australia. Um, people aren't returning emails. People aren't returning phone calls. <laughs> You're starting this business. <clears throat> um, you make your own wine. How had you started making your own wine before importing? Yeah. So you, uh, micro yeah. wines, is, which is which I had your Cinso. So, wow. Yeah. Damn. All right. <laughs> um, so that happened. 2018 was the first vintage, um, and. Made the, made the Shiraz um, and had connected with Gordon Little, Little Peacock, and was like, hey, I made some wine. I'll consign it to you. I'll sell it to all my friends. Just clear it. Take a market. Just just take the wine. I'll figure out how to sell it. And he's like, okay, I don't have to pay you till it's gone, so fine. Um, and he was just generous enough to do that. And I'm not saying that jokingly. He, he took it on. He didn't have to. Um, so we got a pallet of the wine into New York. Had some in it had a bunch still in Australia. Sold a little bit to some people in Australia, and then um, had the remainder of it come over uh, to the West Coast. Um, I guess probably I don't know a year ago, a year and a half ago, um, and kind of went on from there. And it was always meant to. I was realizing after spending quite a bit of time working harvest, more time in Australia than I had in the U.S., mm -hmm. that my relationship with wine had only been from the very end of its life, mm -hmm. from post-bottle, you know, usually from when it's opened. And there's so much that happens before. It's really just the final mile. And um, started doing this and just had so many aha moments and wanted to keep doing it. And that's why it started. It wasn't to start a business. It was, it was like, I just want to do this and see what happens. Um, and was afforded the opportunity because had made some really great friends in Australia that were winemakers um, or owned, owned their own label or owned a winery. And um, they were just really generous and open with their time and said, yeah, like buy some fruit. I'll put you in the corner of the winery over there. I'll make sure you don't screw it up, but I won't touch it if you don't want me to. And that's fine. And it just happened. Um, and it wouldn't have happened not living, I mean, I don't know, it could have happened in the U.S., but it just seemed very easy to do, or at least there wasn't as much resistance. It was a really open, welcoming community, um, and continued from there. In 2019, I did a Cinso, Pinot Gris, and Shiraz, mm -hmm. um, and again in 2020, the Pinot Gris is a, a, like a little collaborative thing with the person that I share winemaking space. Um, oh, that's who. I was like, we're missing a Nebbiolo that we absolutely love, and it's Sierra Reeds. Okay, talk about that. So It'll be is... at the tasting. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, who are we not saying? Um, Sierra, is, she's she's actually, she's American as well, but she's been in Australia for, I don't know, maybe close to a decade now. Um, and she... She, John, uh, makes his wine at, at her facility now. She's been very generous to, to yeah. us and to him. Um, and she 
makes just incredible wine. You know, it was funny. We were kind of, when I was tasting wine for Attica and John was tasting wine for Rockpool, we were kind of on the, you know, we were kind of on the premium train of people coming to show wine. So mm -hmm. we'd kind of get a lot of the same, yeah, same winemakers in town would hit, hit both of us on the same day. And we just both came home from work and we were like, did you taste the Sierra Reed wines? Or just like, they're so good. Just like, just, I, you know, just phenomenal balance and nuance and, um, we, you know, she, she doesn't own her own vineyard. She, um, she sources from, from sites she, she thinks are, are really unique. So she makes everything from Riesling to Grenache, Shiraz and, and Nebbiolo and, and did a Pinot Gris collaboration with John. Sorry. I just wanted to, I had to. No, 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 sure. no, don't be sorry. <laughs> no, not at all. I, 21, 2021 was going to be the vintage where we really kind of ramped up production because it was looking like it was going to be an abundant harvest and. Mm -hmm. And so on, and 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 I say ramp up, like add some more stuff. But Australia didn't let me into the country this year, so there's not a 2021 vintage. Oh, um, right, right, right. They, right, right. it was a pretty incredible response. It was kind of, a, um, please show us that your contribution to our economy is greater than the risk to the community that you'll pose. It's like, well, I mean, can't do that. I, I just, I mean, you gotta, <laughs> no, I'm good. You gotta, you gotta, I have to respect that. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's the opposite of mm -hmm. what went on here. <laughs> I just, just literally the opposite. The exact opposite. Um, so, do you represent her wines here, hopefully? We do. Yes. Oh, we do. Yes. Okay. I, was like, I was like, I hope this is here. No, no, we yeah, definitely yeah. do. Um, so how do how do people like how do you become an importer like how do how does it, I mean like I mean we like we said investors stopped entering emails and we just looked at each other and we're like what do we do we're not going to get a job it's COVID we can't go work in a restaurant we can try to go you know we're we've been out of the country for three years like what do we do we really feel that we want to do this. And we looked at each other and said, listen, everyone that we're bringing over is someone we already have in a relationship with. We had their wines on our lists in Australia. We know who they are. Maybe they'll have some faith in us and give us some terms. And, you know, whatever little money we had saved up, we spent on logistics and air freighting some samples over so we can get a head start before the wine landed. And that's exactly what happened. So over the summer, we just kind of figured out things. And, you know, you, you talk about, oh, you got to, you know, I know you said you have a law degree, but you get a lawyer to help you fill out a permit application. But I'm not a lawyer. No, I know. <laughs> but, you know but, don't come to me for I'm going to tell you. you got to go to this guy I went to law school with, man. <laughs> but it was one of those things where we just, we didn't have the money to hire someone to do all that stuff for us. So we just figured it out yeah. and 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 kind of did it ourselves and um, made had, mistakes along the way. Yeah, we you know, talk to everyone we could who's done this before, who's currently, you know, we we talked to Lyle. We're like, tell us, <laughs> tell us what you do. Right. Um, you know, my, a good friend of mine, Erin Drain, she works for Ole and Obrigado. Yeah. She was really helpful. Mm -hmm. Ken Fredrickson, the... who has um, a spirits importing company, High Road. We talked to one of the guys who founded Brooklyn Brewery about distribution, like all sorts mm -hmm. of things. And we just kind of went back and forth. We were originally going to try and self-distribute and focus on one state and build. And we realized that for a variety of reasons, that wouldn't have helped us find any success, um, especially in a time like COVID. To be an Australian-only distributor, no one would open an account with us. It would have been very hard to work with us. So yeah, yeah. we kind of just really had a good reality check trying to start this in COVID. Um, and yeah, so we air freighted samples over. They got over in August. Um, and we hit the road driving. Um, my grandfather's, when we got back from Australia, my late grandfather's Ford Taurus was sitting in front of the house, my parents' house, with 
It was an 05 Ford Taurus with 40,000 miles on it. <laughs> and now it has 65,000 miles on it in, you know, seven months. And we just kind of hit the road showing wines with masks on outside to people who would look at them and guilting yeah, got, people into buyer wines. You know, definitely kind of our business plan was originally let's be in New York and uh, California and Illinois. Like, let's be in the, you know, the big, big city, major yeah, cities. Right. Let's be in Michelin-starred restaurants. And that was kind of our background. That was kind of where we wanted wines to be. And, you know, when COVID hit, we just, it was kind of like, well... All bets are off. Let's just see who's ready to, to take who's some new wine. Who's buying wine? wine? <laughs> <I know>. Exactly. <laughs> right. And so it was really interesting. You know, it was like our first couple markets were like Tennessee and Vermont. You know, Vermont was our largest initial order. It was just, it was, and. Wow. It, so, but it's it's very cool. I feel like we're lucky that we're coming in at that time. If we'd started a year before, we would have built all these systems for. I know. And then. For a world that didn't exist. Right. You know? Exactly. Good point. So it was, in, in in a sense, although it was hard to see it at the, the time, at the more stressful moments, we felt like, we feel now like this was the the right time to start this company. Um, and that, you know, people are, are eager for, for new wines, but also new, you know, education and new exposure to regions and just new way of doing things, you know. And we've kind of just got to, to jump in and decide how, you know, how we wanted to yeah. do business. And it's... You know, it's not all sunshine and daisies. We've we've not paid ourselves. We've not we've not earned money really in in, in over a year. Um, and we've we've taken all of our savings and put it into this. And and we have enough cash flow to like pay for us being on the road selling wine. Otherwise, we're living at our parents' house um, to get this started. But it's it's been something where we both feel strongly enough about this that. We'll do whatever it takes. Well, and it's, you know, it kind of, it feels like, in, in some ways, it feels like it's not work, you know, that we yeah. we get to work for ourselves. We get flexibility. We get mobility. You know, we can be in New York today, and we can be in Nashville tomorrow, and we're, we're working, and, you know, just kind of juxtaposing that lifestyle with the restaurant lifestyle where there's zero mobility and flexibility. It's, it's been, it's been great. It's been, it's been really nice. So let's talk about your book. We're, we're drinking this wonderful sparkling wine. <clears throat> um, but I, I know you, so like, would you say your book is, it's a uh, mid to high end or I mean like what's the, what's kind of like, because I, cause I, cause I, I say this because I want to get to the special bar. They have, they have, they have some, they got some shit in their book. People. And I don't mean like, I'm like the good shit type shit. Like, you know. We, you know, and, and COVID was, uh, trying to spotlight on this, we want to be able to sell wine to everyone, everywhere. Um, we want to be a meaningful supplier for our distributors, and and so our right now our book starts at twenty bucks retail and goes to a thousand bucks retail, um, but the bulk of it is sub forty retail or sub forty five retail, um, with a really good you know swath of of things um, in kind of the mid twenties um, and low thirties. You know, and, and, and I think that's kind of, it's just so funny when you when you think about, when you come at it from working in restaurants, you're like, oh, a $90, $85 bottle of wine on a restaurant seems in the mid-range or maybe right. on the low end, especially right. in places like EMP. Right where you guys were, yeah, yeah. But then a $30, retail, $40, yeah. $40 bottle, like we were in retail, and I thought, oh my God, $40 retail, that's a lot of money. I even say that, and mm-hmm. 80 bucks on a wine list. I'm like, yeah, sure, why not? I'm two. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's so true. <laughs> 
Um, so it's crazy. So we really took a look at this book and said, okay, we want to do this. How do we do this through retail and 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 make that the cornerstone? Because you know, we you always hear that brands are built in restaurants, and we really believe that that that's not necessarily the case. That that when you have a, a retailer that says, wow, what these guys are doing are, is awesome and sends out a, a, a blurb about their their mailing list, speaking the praise of, or, or praising a wine and so on, that's where brands are built in a lot of ways. You know, we talk about Crush, Built, and Venate and, and things like that. And, and I remember coming up in wine and getting Crush and Chambers Street and Garage East and getting those emails. And that was how I was introduced to so many, so many producers. Um, so, you know, we've, that was, an, I think, another benefit of COVID is it made us think about the book in a more kind of re- retail-focused fashion where, you know, I think given our backgrounds, we would have naturally sort of gravitated to thinking about restaurants. Um, it really made us think about, you know, how things would be priced and what would be appealing for, for retail. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I think our book... We didn't sacrifice me, anyone. Everything that we we went to to work with was based on, built on pre-existing relationships and everyone fit in. Oh yeah, I mean I think we're we're super proud of every one of our producers and they really do it's been really exciting to see where we when we do kind of big tastings where we show people 10, you know, 10 or even 15 different producers of ours. There's different favorites every time, you know, and mm-hmm. I think that's been so cool for us to see cuz you know, I think that it can would have been so so sad if we kind of had producers that we really believed in that like just weren't getting the, you know the love from from buyers um but it's really just like it depends on the you know it depends on the person and the day and where they're selling wine and um you know we we always say we want to sell wine at like you know a steakhouse and you know in in Montana and the you know a natural wine bar in Brooklyn and we have something to make we really think we have something to make everyone happy um, but one thing I think that we are, one thing I really love about our portfolio is I think it really does have those, like, as I was saying earlier, kind of those really varietal correct, varietally correct, but, but kind of sort of slightly Australianized yeah. wines. Just, just amplified. Just yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Just a little bit. Yeah. Um, that, you know, they're, they're not like the super natty end of the spectrum. They're not the super kind of ripe oaky end of the spectrum. They're just like delicious, drinkable, variety correct, interesting, complex, you know, everything from Riesling to Grenache to Nebbiolo to Greco, like a lot of the wines we have really fit in that, in that category. So you have a really special wine in your book yes. that I actually had talked about on an IG Live with the Australian wine guy. I didn't realize it was in your book and, you know, cause I'm learning more about Australian wines, you know, cause my introduction to Australian wines, I lived in California, Central Coast, lived in Santa Barbara, Grateful Palate was down in Oxnard. They were bringing in those 98, all those 98-point bangers. And I was young, so I didn't care, man. Just bring it on. <laughs> Give me the 17.5% Shiraz. Yeah. I'll do it. <laughs> uh, there, There is – that was kind of the first, the first style that the U.S. was really introduced to. And, you know, I, I think that – style has its place and and we definitely have wines in our portfolio that would would fit in that more traditional paradigm but i think always like always seeking out balance you know of course of course um and but that's not to say things can't find balance at 16 percent alcohol you know that's very true too so what what do we got here this is a cute yeah, yeah. i got this wooden box yeah, i so... gotta put these videos up yes <laughs> this is like this is like 
This is like a scene from oh, like the light just came out like Pulp Fiction. Oh. <laughs> so um, this is a wine, and this bottle, it's this box has been around a bit. So I did a lot of work with Seppelsfield when I was at Rockpool. We actually took over this lobby bar in a hotel and got a bunch of their barrels from their tawnies, recoupered, turned into a cocktail program, and they gave me a bottle of the 1920 as like a going away gift. So that's what the remnants of this is, but it's, but we brought it because we wanted you to check it out. Oh my God. Um, so, so this is, so a, this is, um, tell everybody what this so is. this is, uh, in 1878, the Seppelsfield family, they had already been making fortified wines. So, and very tawny like, so, um, they were more moderate in style for fortified wines. Um, made just like traditional port would be where it was fortified very early in its time and would end up being a pretty pale colored wine because it only had about three days of, of skin maceration and then barrel aged. And what they did every year starting in 1878 is they, they laid down two punchins or about a thousand liters of this fortified wine to not be released until a hundred years later. So since 1978, this is essentially what the 42nd release of a hundred year old wine that has spent hundred years in barrel um, is all estate grown fruit. Um, and yeah, so they have this, there's actually a little picture in here. You can see their little, um, their cellar, they call it their centennial cellar. They have every barrel back there till back to 1878. They have a Cooper on site that refits barrels to the volume of the wine that they have for each year. Um, and we get a little allocation of them. Um, what we're doing right now is, is we're about to put out a, um, a, a DI offer through retailers, through distributors, throughout our, our network and, and partners to, because no one wants to sit on inventory of this stuff. It's way too expensive. This needs to be sold before yeah, it comes no, to the exact door, bro. But what's cool is, you know, they'll put people's name on it. So if you're like, okay, I'm going to get this for someone for the holidays. Um, I'm going to put their name on it. The winery bottles to order, puts people's name on it, number certificate. Um, yeah. So this oh. is, and it just gets more and more dense and, and intense and is very cool. Um, so, well, thank you. You're welcome. Can You've I pour some? Yeah, you got to try. When you're done with that. <laughs> there's one There's one person on Thursday we want to check this out, but the Ooh. rest of it is up for Ooh. grabs. Um, it is, it's, it's nuts and it's one of those things where it literally, we talk about 100-year-old wine or super-year-old wine, you know, old port, old Madeira. Um, you know, Madeira spends, can spend tons of time in barrel, but then it's usually transferred to Demijohn after it's, you know, aged for 20, 30 years and it's, it's top end. Um, port, uh, vintage port's in bottle. Tawny port would be in barrel, but usually bottled maybe 40 years later at max. Right. Um, so nothing really spends all 100 years in wood. Yeah, of like the hundred year products you could find, there's very few that would actually be a hundred years in in barrel. Like, I don't think super old like cognac or Calvados and things like that potentially. Even yeah, old brandies. Um, so it's 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 an incredibly unique wine, and it's all it's all state grown. Yeah, what 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 fruit do they start with? It's largely Grenache and Grenache. Shiraz. Okay. <laughs> it's crazy to think that. Um, yeah, no, I, I thought about that. Like, wow. um, they do a bunch of fortifieds. They they actually do things that are more sherry in style. They're drier and see some floor development. Um, one of them is all Palmino, another's um, Grenache and Palmino. Um, 
but and this is kind of their their centerpiece but they've in their 170 years of existence have have amassed uh, a pretty incredible portfolio of vineyards across the Barossa. So they do really juicy, delicious Grenache for 22 bucks retail that My we work with. My favorite is Grenache. Though. Mm-hmm. I'm a Grenache. That's why yeah. I'm so excited about was born in Australia. Yeah, I agree. I think Grenache is one of... Uh, it's one of my favorite grapes overall, but definitely one of the most exciting things happening in Australia, mm-hmm. for sure. Wow. Um, this is just something I'm just like, I will drink it. <laughs> but I'm just smelt. You have to just. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's just like yeah, it, it's it's absolutely nuts. And I will insane. say, when when you drink it and you put the bubbles in the washed glass of that. Oh, I was waiting to do it. Yeah, that's gonna be real good. I, I, that's what I, I. You know, you read my mind. See, <laughs> that's that Jersey thinking. I was like, I was like, <laughs> this is gonna be good. This is gonna be really good. But like rinsing the glass is gonna be even nicer. You know, I just thought it's gonna be super nice. Save that for Ray. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> And one thing, just I, I, I really love that you guys have, during the pandemic, like it's helped shape your business. And I think just, listen, it's really going to make it more sustainable, actually, you know? Yeah. So? Yeah, we hope so. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I think it's, 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 we talk about this a lot in life, this pandemic has helped, has helped some people figure out what matters more and most. And what's important, and I think it's really kind of helped us see that in all walks of life, especially starting this business. Um, and yeah, no yeah, cares. well, one day it'll be our livelihood, and it'll be great. Yeah, I think you know, we launched with this kind of set of values, kind of the core values of the company, and I think, you know, I think more and more businesses just have to think about. Including restaurants, which, you know, I hope that restaurants take this opportunity to sort of reset and think about how they can be sustainable businesses for their for their employees, for the environment. You know, I think if if we can't um, if we can't be sustainable in terms of labor practices and environmental practices like that should, you know, that should be taken into account when determining if your business is financially sustainable you know so so we're you know we're we're doing our best to take all of those all of those issues into into account very cool so what are you uh as we're getting people getting vaccinated things are beginning to open back up um and i'm going to say that question because i'm looking and i'm tasmania (laughs) (laughs) i know the tasmanian devil Talk a bit about so this sparkling wine is from Tasmania. So how many producers do you have in Tasmania, and what? Where's that relationship to the coast of Australia? Just sure. a little, little because we have some time, and and I see that. And and what's primarily grows really well in Tasmania. Sure. So Tasmania is actually the coolest climate uh, okay. for wine growing in Australia. Um, <clears throat> the coolest climate in Australia. It's uh, it's an island. Um, it is about a forty five minute plane flight from Melbourne, so off kind of the southeastern corner of, of Australia. Um, it's what do we say? It's about the size of West Virginia, but with eighteen percent of the population. Um, the there's kind of mountains running down kind of the center of the island, and so the the whole um, the whole west coast is sort of a temperate rainforest. It's not very populated, mm-hmm. and the east coast is. The most beautiful place you'll ever go to in your life. It's absolutely spectacular. Temperate rainforest is pretty pretty too. <laughs> Probably is. I have not been. 
Uh, I don't think you have been either. No, I've seen pictures. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a oasis for all sorts of different agriculture, like incredible, incredible food overall in Tasmania. There's two kind of two major cities, Hobart in the south and Launceston in the north. Um, still, you know, relatively small cities, but mm. but cool, cool vibes, like great restaurant scene, great wine scenes. So, but you're looking at a lot of, um, a lot of sparkling wine, kind of mm-hmm. Tasmania was originally really known for its sparkling wine. Um, great Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, Riesling, um, but really great, like kind of cool climate Syrah too, okay. and Cabernet even. Um, it's interesting. It's a place that says like from a, a degree day kind of climate scale, it's, it's right on par with it sits between Dijon and Chablis as far as temperature, mm, okay. but the sunshine hours are closer, are, are cl- more like Chateauneuf to Pop. So you have this this juxtaposition of, of cold, but a lot of sun. So you can you can achieve ripeness in some years with things like Cabernet or Syrah, but it's super marginal, um, and 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 kind of pretty interesting in that sense. And most vineyard areas are are hugging the coast so along the north coast along the east coast and then around the, the kind of estuaries of hobart um our other tasmanian producer does a lot of work with alsatian okay. varieties so riesling gewurztraminer pinot gris um and just like finds phenomenal balance there isn't really i don't i don't think there's quite the moisture to get botrytis um, maybe you could in certain years in some places, but but kind of that that combination of cool climate but high high sunshine. Mm-hmm. You know, she's making Riesling um, that's you know thirteen and a half percent alcohol, like kind of an Alsatian style, but that's really fresh, really clean, great acidity. Still um, has some sweetness to it and texture, and yeah, it's really fun. Those ones are. We've got you'll yeah. Taste, I mean, you'll taste our Riesling on yeah. this. Yeah, cool, cool. And there's <laughs> some other producers that we're in talks with to get start with their 2021 vintage, which was just picked and. Um, some Pinot Noir, some Chardonnay, and things like that. Um, but it's an incredible place. Tasmania in November of 2020 became 100% reliant on renewable energy. Oh, wow. Um, and is where the world... So there's, you know, um, different places we measure air quality across the, across the, country, across the globe. And there's a, a weather station in northwestern Tasmania that's essentially the base station. So that's the cleanest air in the world. And... Essentially, when that moves, then we know everywhere else is degrading. So that's kind of the like. Mm, okay. Tasmania is pretty much Tasmania, New Zealand. That part of the world is like when if there's nowhere else to go, go there. Right. Maybe go there now. I know. I was like, I'm thinking. <laughs> oh, good thing I got friends in New Zealand. Um, <laughs> so, as I was saying before, like that was like Tasmania, Tasmania. Um, things are open up. What are you guys most excited about? in 2021 with uh, Legend Imports? And I think it'll be, we actually did our first wine dinner in New Orleans a couple, I don't know, maybe six weeks back now, which was really fun. Um, I think, you know, doing more of that kind of like tastings and dinners and sort of that that normal stuff <laughs> that was once normal will be really fun just to kind of, um, you know, really get to get to talk about these wines and really interact, see people interacting with them. So I think we're looking forward to that. We're, um, I actually think this will be its like first official announcement, but we're writing an Australian wine book. Oh, yes. Uh, so that is going to be a big part of our, our, our spring and summer is, is pulling that together. Um, so, but we're really excited about that. And we think, you know, it's for, 
one of the one of the authors is a cartographer, so it's all original maps. Um, and it's the same publisher who published my my first book. So and they they're amazing. So it's and they um, love you. Yeah. They do love me. <laughs> Clearly, they they at least uh, love me enough to work with me again. So so we're really excited about that, and that'll be out next year. But um, will definitely be a, a big part of our our lives this year. Um, and next year when it comes out, I yeah. think um, you know we were doing. It's funny you mentioned Tasmania. We were doing a, a virtual kind of wine thing with a, an amazing tasting group in LA that Christy Norman runs mm-hmm. um, with Wine Australia, and we were getting questions like. You know, asking about Tasmania, if Australians have kind of, you know, kind of like fun, you know, like sporty animosity towards Tasmania being, you know, and and other New Zealand wines. It was like, well, people don't, there's like very basic stuff that people just have yet to really understand about Australia. And, and we really, there's just so much that we can do as far as spreading kind of, you know, information and and um, so I think we're just really excited to just share all of the stories and, and information that we can about Australia. I'm really kind of pushing regionality, too. I think that's something, you know, when people, when you look at a, an Australian, if you look at Australian wines on a wine list or in a wine store, there's an Australian section. There's yeah. not a Yarra Valley, Margaret right. River, right. you McLaren know. Vale. Exactly. And so it's that's Dustine in the back and on the bottom. <laughs> and, you know. and there's so, a floor stack of Yellowtail right in the front yeah. of the shop. <laughs> so I think, you know, I think a lot of wine regions have had that sort of renaissance. If you think about, like, even Spain, you know, 15 or 20 years ago, people weren't talking about, like, Mentrita and Granada and, you know, and mm. Rias Baixas even. You know, it was, you were talking maybe about Rioja and Ribeiro del Duero. That's it. Um, so I think it's really time for Australia and for people to get to know these regions. And, you know, yeah, there's in, regions we're importing that just were not imported before. And important, like, significant premium mm-hmm, wine regions. Mm-hmm, so it's, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. it's we're, yeah, we're excited to, yeah, spread the gospel of, of Australian wine. Well, that's awesome. I'm thinking of titles for the show, but... Um... <laughs> Some some Australian puns or something. I was, I was like, don't do the minute work thing. But um, you guys, I I can't wait. We'll have you back once a book is published. We'd love to talk about the book. We'd love that. Um, thank you so much for coming in and just. I mean, we need more time, but but like, thank you. I learned a ton. I hope people learned a ton. I'm excited to. I get to go to the tasting. I get to go to the tasting. <laughs> um, <laughs> But um, tell everybody where they can find you on social media, your websites, where they can find you and how they can be a part of what you're doing. Yeah. Um, our website is legendaustralia.com. Our Instagram handle is Oz Wine Legends, A-U-S Wine Legends. Um, I think there was a lot of things that weren't available to get us to that one, but but we like it. Um, and Everyone wants to be a legend. But and yeah. to give you a quick snapshot about that, legend is a, a word that's oh, used yeah. every day, all day in Australia. Everything. You hold the door open for someone, you're a legend. You get someone a coffee, you're a legend. You find your keys, legend. It's like, like it's like they're awesome, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. like when I would place orders with my you know my distributors, my reps, I would get a response back, thanks, legend. I'm just like, oh my gosh, that's like, so positive, though, right? <laughs> yeah, like, it's. Like, Nice. Make you feel good, right? Like, like, yeah. So um, that'll be the legend of John and Jane, <laughs> two American Perfect. kids trying to make it in the downland, <laughs> trying to make it in Queensland. All right, everybody. Oh my God, amazing couple, beautiful people, fun people, smart people, a lot of passion. 
for wine, for hospitality, for each other, for life. Thank you for being here. Uh, everybody, until next time, cheers to the Mavericks, the philosophers, the deep thinkers, we, and the wine drinkers. We've covered all those with this couple. Thank you so much. Until next time, it's your boy, MJ. Peace. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something. You had some fun while you were here. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you want to be an insider and get special content, make sure you go over to blackwineguy.com and get on our email list. <laughs>